So this morning we're going to be looking at Joshua and uh, Canaan and, and the conquest, and hopefully that text is big enough. Can you see that in the back, Ethan? Yeah? yeah. Alright. Um, the, um, what do you call them? The um, designs, that's not what they're called, but the designs that Microsoft comes with, like they really need to have some newer and better and whatever. But anyway, so we want to look at the, the topic of Joshua and his conquest today. A couple of things that we have um, looked at in the past, um, we briefly touched on archaeology, but this is just a little uh, cartoon I came across, Future Archaeology, and he says, uh, our best guess is that it was some kind of a late 20th century prison, and uh, what is it? It's a bunch of office cubicles, so uh, yeah, kind of like a prison, right? Um, archaeology is an interesting thing, because you're looking at very old stuff, um, potentially dead stuff, uh, and you have to interpret what you're looking at. And this goes to the idea of the shared pool of knowledge or the lack thereof that we talked about in our first week. What if all of the, uh, I shouldn't say all, but you know, the conclusions are wrong? And we'll see a little bit of that today that uh, with the excavations for Jericho, there was differing interpretations. And there's always going to be different interpretations because of people's worldviews. But also, the truth of the matter is that we don't have all of the information to necessarily accurately uh, determine a proper interpretation. I showed this picture a couple weeks ago, but this is a, an ancient tell. Um, there's another word for it also, the kirbet. The difference between the two is that with a tell, there's no remains that are visible, whereas with the other... Um, there is. And so what you can see here is as they excavate these different areas and you have these different layers, it's almost like if you've uh, studied uh, geology at all and you know how they do um, the layers and there's the bay debate between, you know, evolution and creationists about the layers. But if you don't understand what I'm talking about, the stratas, the layers. It's, a, it's the same thing, kind of, that they're looking at here. And pottery is their biggest thing that they, they look at. So we're going to see when we get to Jericho, for instance, <coughs> we'll talk about this a little bit, Kathleen Kenyon and some of the discoveries that they, uh, they did there. So as a, as a quick review, though, for us, just adjusting our, our minds and the map in our head that we're trying to create here, we've looked at some of the empires, uh, Sargon, of the Akkadians, that was over here in the Mesopotamia area, and that was at its peak pretty much uh, right around the time of Abraham, just before Abraham, and, and Abraham, when he left, um, Sargon died right around there. And then we looked at uh, Egypt and how it was separated between the upper and the lower, and then it was combined. And as we get into the period of Joshua and the conquest, Egypt really has taken over the whole thing. So like Sargon had previously kind of expanded and taken over the whole thing, now it's Egypt's turn. And you kind of have that seesaw back and forth throughout your entire, really, timeline of, of ancient Near East history. They're always um, trying to build their empire, and in the middle is always this um, Syro-Palestinian area. And so God's people that he puts there is always in the, right in the line of fire between whoever's trying to take that over. So as, as we look at Joshua, okay, 
So Moses has come out of Egypt in the morning, and Joshua is now getting ready for um, conquering or, or taking the land in Canaan. So Egypt really is, is the superpower, uh, but because of several of the pharaohs and their um, desire or lack thereof, um, or priorities, you could say, there is a little bit less of a, um, a strong grip on the area. And so that actually is going to be in their favor because they are not going to meet as much resistance um, with Egyptian backing as, as they move in there. If you remember from our study of the Egyptian period, um, Thutmose III had added the region to Egypt's domain. And then his son, um, Amenhotep II, who is probably the pharaoh of the Exodus, he continued the control. His son, Thutmose IV, which is probably the pharaoh while Israel was in the wilderness, um, he was more interested in foreign alliances than military dominance. And then his son, Amenhotep III, um, was not so much interested in maintaining the environment. He was more concerned with uh, domestic interests. And so uh, that is what opens the door for them to be able to um, have a little bit less resistance as they go in there. So that's just a close-up uh, picture of it. So we'll, we'll have plenty more maps in here. Um, and again, that's just the, the close-up of the uh, Sargon's empire. There was the time of Abraham prior to the Egyptian Vikings. So when they reached Canaan, um, as you probably already know, one of the problems with the Canaanites <coughs> was their um, the gods that they worshipped. And so you have here a couple of the images representing um, the gods that the Canaanites worshipped. And so you have both um, Baal here and also... Um, Asherah is um, depicted here. Or Astarte, actually. That's Astarte. So, <coughs> a worse, I suppose you could say, worship that they also practiced in the area was the worship of Molech. And so, if you're familiar with this at all, you know that it, it is where they would offer uh, their children, they would offer sacrifices. You have some of this depicted during uh, the time of uh, Manasseh's reign, son of Hezekiah, that they offer their, their children, the Israelites were, which was doubly deplorable to God. So you can kind of see in this depiction here that you have a furnace below, okay, this, this iron statue, and they literally would, would take their children and they would put them on, this, on the red-hot hands um, of this God statue, and offer their children as sacrifices to God. Um, I would contend that there's more than one way to offer children as a sacrifice to the cultural gods. And uh, physically putting them on the, the hands of a hot statue uh, is not the only way. I think you know we can do the same thing in our culture with whether it's uh, the abortion issue or whether it is um, issues with... Uh, could be work could be an idol and your your kids are neglected. It could be ministry. It could be all sorts of things. Um, but here they were literally physically um, offering them as a sacrifice, which was um, deplorable to God. So a little bit of a review for, for that. Canaan before Abraham was a collection of city-states. Abraham entered after a major collapse around 2200. That's what we were talking about with Sargon. Um, the Akkadian dies. 
um, place of wealth and worry in this time period. Why was it a place of, of worry in Canaan? Because, as we mentioned, these empires that are competing all the time are, are always coming through and they're wanting your allegiance. And so if you, if you rebel or refuse to submit to them, then you are going to face, obviously, their wrath. So additionally, while e Israel is in Egypt, okay, so while they're in Egypt, all right, so think Joseph, then Moses, right? Uh, there's increased urbanization, um, and then there's a push into Egypt, and then Egypt rises, and Canaan becomes subject, as we just mentioned, to Thutmose. And then after that, um, Amenhotep and the rest that we just um, mentioned. So this map also shows you some of the uh, other uh, people groups that were in Canaan at the time. And so you can see here the Philistines, uh, Canaanites, Jebusites, Hittites, Perizzites, all, all over the place. And so some people argue that Canaanites is more of a general term that covers all of these, but there's also um, definitely some delineation between Canaanites and these other groups of people as, as you read uh, scripture. So, that's that one there. Alright, yes sir? My wife needs to be prayed for. Okay, we will uh, pray for her. Because my wife needs to be prayed Not doing well? Yeah, I'm doing well. Okay. The, the lectures will be online, so when she's better, she can watch them. She got the flu or something else? She's on the flu. I mean, she cannot move. Okay. I think she has some, she doesn't have to get used to doing that. I thought she had that at least one year. Okay. Yeah. She keeps on getting sick. Remind me, make sure we'll, we'll pray at the end of the, okay. of the class for her, okay? Okay. So, thanks for letting me know. So this is just a, a short little map that kind of depicts the, the journey or through the storyline of what God is, is doing so far. And so as they, as they come in, number one up at the top, okay, this is all just to help us review um, the storyline so far. So as Abraham comes in, um, and then he has his sons, of course, Isaac, Ishmael, and then Isaac has uh, Jacob and Esau. And then uh, number three down there, is as Joseph goes into Egypt, and then uh, number four, uh, Moses then leads them out of Egypt. Number five on the screen is Moses at uh, Mount Sinai receiving the commandments uh, after uh, God has already made a covenant with them. Remember, uh, the relationship begins first, then the covenant, then, then come the rules and stipulations, um, and then, of course, the blessings and curses. And then um, at six is um, the... The wanderings in the wilderness, hence the, the circle. They're just wandering around in circles. And number seven is right before uh, Moses dies, Deuteronomy, the renewing of the covenant. Some people call it the second law. I don't think that's quite as accurate. I think it's, it's the renewing of the covenant with a new generation of people. And they're getting ready um, to cross over. And then eight is um, getting ready to invade and conquer. And this is the time period that we're looking at specifically today, and it also corresponds with your reading this week of chapter 6. Uh, the conquest that uh, Joshua does begins in the central section, okay, and then the, the southern and then the northern campaign. 
So on this map here, which uh, I think I have this map on each one of our uh, city slides. You'll see what I mean in a few minutes here. But so as he's going to come across the Jordan River, and he's, he's going to uh, work, work at the central area first. So you have Jericho, Gilgal, Ai, and Bethel right here in the middle. All right, and that's going to, in, in effect, split this area. So we, we've conquered the, the middle portion, and then we're going to work on the south and separate them out, and then the northern uh, half is going to be after that. So that's kind of the way. So just remember, central, south, north. So when we look at the central campaign, we're going to see that Joshua crosses uh, the Jordan. After the spies returned, Joshua ordered the people to move to the bank of the Jordan, um, where they encamped. Good morning. And then they're going to meet up at Gilgal. base kind of for their work. They're going to continually return to Gilgal. And if you look at the, the book of Joshua and you read through that, you'll see that they, they take these cities or in the case of Jericho, etc., they um, burn them and then they return to Gilgal and then they go out again. And so it's this central area here that they continue to work kind of as a, a home base if you want to think of it that way. This is a, a close-up picture. You can see some of the terrain here. You can see, for instance, that when we're going to talk about Jerusalem, okay, the old city of Jabus, much higher in the mountains than where they begin here in the plains of Gilgal and uh, Jericho. You can also see that we are just a little bit north of the Dead Sea where they're beginning their conquest. So that's, that's Gilgal. It becomes, as I mentioned, a continuing center of Israelite activity. Its location is still not known. Let me just put this back so that you can, if you're taking notes, know where uh, we're talking about. Uh, but it's in the Jordan Valley somewhere, which is why there's a, a question mark next to it up there. Um, but from here, Jericho and Ai will soon um, be taken. Later, the Gibeonites came to Gilgal seeking a peace treaty. That's in Joshua 9, 6. From Gilgal, Joshua uh, led his army by, um, up to the Gibeonites in chapter 10, uh, verses 6 and 7. And also from there, he's going to go north to the northern uh, confederacy in chapter 11, 6 and following. From Gilgal is also where the first allotment of, of tribes will take place from. So from Gilgal at their base, <coughs> they... Got ready, men were circumcised, observed the Passover, and this is when the manna ceases. So God had provided the manna for them all through their wilderness wanderings, 40 years, and now as they get ready to go into the land, which the spies have already checked it out, and there's, there's plenty of food there, land flowing with of milk and honey, and so God's uh, supernatural provision um, ends. And that takes us to... Jericho. Okay? So you can see on the map, it's going to be right next to Gilgal there. <clears throat> Just south. 
ancient city of Jericho, um, toward the end of the, the Bronze Age. You can see it's just up off the, the western, northern western coast of the Dead Sea of present day Israel. Um, this map's a little harder um, to see. I doubt you can see this in the back there, Ethan. <laughs> um, but Gilgal's right here, okay? And so as they, they come over the across the Jordan River, Gilgal, and then they're going to head there. Jericho, circle around there. And then you can kind of see these different colored arrows of other uh, campaigns. This is a cross-section of the elevation um, from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you remember a few maps ago, I showed you that you could tell just by the, the topography on that particular map that Jerusalem was a, a mountainous region. And so here you can actually see that Jerusalem was 2,450 feet above sea level. And then you look over here, Jericho is 720 below. So there's quite a bit of a difference here in the terrain that they're going to have to wade through. Good morning, sir. Okay, our next one here is also in Jericho. Um, this is shot of Jericho and we're looking at this area um, here primarily and the uh, same thing here except that that's uh, not showing you all the terrain there but uh, Jericho is a very very old city and Jericho today and then are a little bit apart from each other I'll show you that in a, in a picture in a few more uh, minutes here but Jericho is uh, near the wilderness. It's a wilderness area. And so you can see that if, if you're fighting in this area, there is uh, lots of, if, after you come across the, the river there, and remember you got the Jordan Rift Valley, right? The, the, the Jordan River is running through. And then so you have the plains of Moab on the east side, and you come up over that, and then it's going to level out a little bit. But then it's also going to be um, increasing hills, as you saw on the um, uh, the cross-section photo as, as you go west and up towards uh, Jerusalem. And so you can kind of imagine a little bit what the warfare ha had to be like in this area. Um, in the Old Testament, some things about Jericho. It's first mentioned um, as Israel staged itself across the Jordan, okay, in the plains of Moab, Numbers 22.1. Uh, uh, Rahab lived there and protected the spies. We know that. We talked about her um, last week or the week prior. I think the week prior. Um, in Joshua 6, we're looking at that passage actually right now. That's going to be the, the capture of it. This is also where Achan's sin takes place in Joshua 7. It gets assigned to the tribe of Benjamin in Joshua 18. Um, David sends his ambassadors to the Ammonites here. 
after they had been shamed. Um, and that's 2 Samuel 10, 1 through uh, 5. And then some of the groups known as some of the prophets uh, were located here, according to 2 Kings 2, 5. Elijah was taken up by a whirlwind near here, 2 Kings 2. Elisha miraculously um, purifies poison water here in 2 Kings um, 2, 18 and following. And Zedekiah was captured by the Chaldeans in 2 Kings 25. And some of the descendants of those from Jericho returned from Babylon under Zerubbabel and Ezra, chapter 2, verse 34. And men from Jericho assist in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem under uh, Nehemiah in Nehemiah 3, 2. And so these are some of the things we find in the Old Testament related to Jericho. It's also mentioned in the New Testament, as we'll see in a moment. This is a reconstruction. Now, one of the things that, as I've mentioned before, you, you got to wrestle with is um, do we convince the Copan's material and the Canaanite and the ideas of maybe it w wasn't a city where all these inhabitants were living, but maybe it was a fortress-type city. So, um, that's that's Copan's uh, take on it, and there is some some evidence to support that to some degree. Uh, the traditional interpretation has been that there were all these uh, houses that were there, uh, built into the wall, some of them, like Rahab, and others around it. <coughs> and so I'm going to show you, we've looked at um, the argument from, from Copan. Today we're going to look at a little bit of some additional arguments and see some of the archaeological material that has been uh, dug up since then. So that is simply a, a reconstruction view of it, of what it would have looked like. Uh, this here is showing you how the walls were, were built then, and the, the double-structured walls, you see there's a wall at the, the lower end, there's a wall at the, the upper end, and there's a hill in between. This is a common thing that was done um, around their cities, or maybe their fortresses. Um, and you can just imagine, you can, you can figure out why pretty easily, because even if you get through the, the first wall, you still have an uphill uh, battle, literally, uh, before you can get to the second wall. And of course, who's going to be on the second wall shooting down? They are. And so it's a, it's a fortress um, barrier attempt for their cities. So it certainly is true that all of the cities which were probably mostly more like towns, did not have all of these. And so that's where the, the argument comes from, to some degree at least, that these were maybe more uh, forts. I think forts probably gives us kind of the wrong idea. But uh, fortified cities, whereas you would, you would definitely, if Jericho was like that, okay, let's just put Jericho like that, there. You definitely are going to have all these other villages and towns out elsewhere and around them. You had a lot of agriculture going on, <coughs> and you had a lot of shepherding going on. And so everything is not going to obviously be inside uh, the city walls of the outside. So archaeologists have found that the walls of Jericho um, have fallen down, you know, depending on your interpretation of this. And we'll look at that in just a minute. But the, the cross-section that you see up there just demonstrates the military-type barriers that they would put in place. 
Now, when they excavated Jericho, okay, the first major excavation was carried out by a German team between 1907 and 1909, and they found piles of mud bricks at the base of the mound the city was built on. But it wasn't until British archaeologist Kathleen Kenyon, and if you do any, any research on Jericho in archaeology, you're going to come up with her name probably, Kathleen Kenyon. Um, her father was uh, an archaeologist also, another Kenyon. Um, so she was there in the 50s, and it was understood that the pile of bricks, then she determined that the wall had collapsed, and, and that's why um, those bricks were, were there. But those burn marks that you that you see there, let me um, burn. Yeah, mm -hmm. burn marks. The two arrows. Um, show. I mean, the truth is that when you and I look at these pictures, we're like, yeah, okay, whatever you say, right? Um, but I mean, we're not there. You can't see all of you know, whatever else is there. You can see that, you know, it's darker right there, all right? But obviously, you know, we're not there. And so this is actually the way a lot of scholarly uh, work is. Even when you do an exegetical paper and you're relying on some Hebrew scholar for what words mean, right? Um, I mean, we really are at the mercy to a large degree of all of scholars, right? So even your reading your your Bibles, right? The interpretation, the translation, like that wasn't determined by you. Someone determined what word they wanted to put there as a as a translation for that. So anyways, uh, what happened was uh, Kathleen Kenyon actually she had improved techniques from, from the earlier excavations, but she um, had different interpretations that were later on uh, kind of reversed by uh, some others. So she dated the destruction of Jerusalem to around 50 and 50. But this primarily centered on the lack of pottery from the late Bronze Age. And she argued that Jericho was uninhabited in the 1400s, which challenges the accuracy of the scriptural account. Because... Uh, if the exodus from Egypt was around 1445-46, then they then spend the time in the wilderness, and then they're going to go and take Jericho. Well, what are they doing? Taking a place that has no people in it? I mean, what kind of taking is that, right? So when you get science or archaeology or history that says something like that, now you're left in a quagmire. Like, what, what do I do with that? And so... You either uh, reject it, accept it, or do more research, right? And so there was additional excavations that were done later on. Um, in the 50s, an American archaeologist, Bryant Woods, excavated at Jericho. He analyzed uh, Kenyon's work and another uh, person, Garstang's work, and his findings um, showed, actually, that there was pottery, that the place was um, inhabited, and therefore it could coincide with the biblical uh, text and the biblical story. They also found lots of uh, burned grain, 
so there was there was a large um, storehouses and jars that had uh, grain in it, and some of it had been burned. And so uh, the interpretation from that was that as uh, Jericho had been the walls came down and then it had been burned, that that was why they still found the the burnt grain, which. In and of itself, those findings are, are pretty intriguing because we're talking uh, 2,000 years ago, and we find you know these evidences that are still there. So they also did radiocarbon dating of the burn layer, and they dated that to 1400 uh, BC. And so, of course, you can find somebody who will dispute pretty much any archaeological or scientific finding that there is. So that was the evidence that was uh, found. So if you think through that and you realize 50 to 100 years, the archaeology and their excavation kind of did an about face with the findings on Jericho. So the way of Albright is often considered to be kind of like, uh, I don't know, the grandfather, if you will, of modern archaeology. And uh, he and others would simply argue, and, and I think this is a, a good case, you know, for, for skeptics, like it, does, it doesn't necessarily prove something, but I just think you should take it into consideration. I mean, these, these world-renowned archaeologists um, have commented multiple times that the most accurate source for finding ancient cities is what? The Bible. And so, there isn't really much else Historically, uh, literary, that is going to help you find these places. So that's some of the information related to um, Jericho. Um, I think I also have some more stuff about the New Testament. So Jericho is also uh, mentioned quite a bit in the New Testament. Uh, the Lord restored sight to the blind there. It's mentioned in the connection with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Zacchaeus entertained the Lord in his home. And then um, two miles south of Tel Jericho, or the Old Testament Jericho, is the second set of ruins located. And scholars believe that this would be the ruins of the New Testament Jericho. So this gets maybe a little more confusing for you. So now you've got Jericho here and Jericho here. One was Old Testament, one was New Testament. So it's not as confusing, really, if, uh, as you might think, if you just consider that over hundreds of years, <coughs> or even longer, um, inhabitants come and form a new city, and it's so close to the old place, and the whole area is kind of known as that, that it becomes known as that. So um, I tell everybody I live in Orlando, but technically I live in Pine Hills. So that's unincorporated. Sometimes I will get mail that says, most of the time it says Orlando on it, but sometimes I will get mail that actually, it doesn't say Orlando, it says Pine Hills is where it is. So, same thing, you tell people Orlando, what do you really mean? Um, is it Orlando proper, or is it the larger metro area? Um, you know, Winter Garden, Chili's, whatever. So, similar type of thing. Um... That's Jericho in the New Testament. Also, um, let's see what text it means. Uh, well, I think I have a, a picture in here, but there's remains of a number of uh, buildings 
dating between the second century BC and the first century AD, and one of these includes a large pavilion built on top of an artificial mound. At the foot was a large pool. Steps led from the pavilion to the wadi, the creek bed. Um, these are formed as a result of runoff water coming from the winter rains over Jerusalem in the Judean mountains. So remember, um, Jerusalem was up west, up in, up in the mountains, and Jericho was down here, so scrolling down. Uh, the wadi impacts a good deal of the features associated with New Testament Jericho. Herod the Great built his winter palace here, straddling the wadi. Um, on his northern bank was one wing of his palace. On the southern was another. And then a bridge crossed the creek and connected the two. Um, if you don't know much about Herod, Herod was a magnificent builder. Um, it's one of the reasons that the temple was um, probably still being worked on many times in years. And also so magnificent. Uh, he was most likely trying to get favor, um, favor status with the, with the Jews by building it. But also, he was into building. So you look around um, the American landscape and you look at who are some of the great architects and builders and you know they want to make a name for themselves or whatever. Well, Herod made a name for himself in his, in his buildings and his palaces, etc. And you could probably argue to some degree that Solomon did likewise. Um, he had the temple, but he also had his whole entourage, if you will, of building. So he has more and more pools here. Um, he also had a reception hall, open courtyards, and a bath complex. Uh, it's believed that Herod the Great had his wife's brother murdered in the palace's pool. Um, of course, murdering was kind of common with Herod. He just said, you're better off being a pig than being part of his family. Um, nearby is another palace dating back to the Hasmoneans, okay, and another swimming pool. And so Hasmoneans, intertestament time period. In the Gospels, there's three accounts um, concerning Jesus' healing of the blind at Jericho, and they're listed right there. <coughs> so these two arrows uh, show the two different locations for the Old Testament and the New Testament um, Jerichos. there, <coughs> they have uh, found a layer of ash three foot thick with burned timbers and debris um, at the excavations of, of Jericho. The large mounds of earth were piled up around the city for protection, similar to the illustration that we showed you earlier. And then there was, um, as I mentioned, a lot of dollars spilled in hard grain found in destroyed buildings. Again, just an artist rendition. This is actually from uh, Faith Life Study Bible, Logos Bible Software. But this is their uh, rendition of what it would look like as well. Um, a ditch, walls around, etc. And the city crossed. So from this one, you can kind of see they've taken uh, the modern and then they have put the city right smack dab in the middle. And so you can kind of see a little bit of how it would be coming in from these different uh, areas. Go ahead. So what kind of people would live in the city and all that? Would the, would the outer area be like more of the Jews and Romans and Greeks and that? Yeah, it'd be something similar like that, yeah. 
assuming you see uh, depictions of uh, Crown of Jerusalem for David and Solomon. Now, when you look at those, some of it is also related to the, the expansion of Jerusalem. So you got old cities, new city stuff. But yeah, it's going to be like that. The most secure place is going to be where your most important quote people live. So yeah, um, if they break through the first walls, well, they can go. But yeah. you're going to make sure you're safe, right? So that's Jericho. After uh, Jericho, and just as a, as a side note, if Jericho interests you, I mean, there is gobs and gobs and gobs of information um, on Jericho. Uh, they have been doing excavations there for many, many years. Uh, a lot of different people have, have done the excavations. So there is quite a bit of, of stuff available if that's your thing. So we move on from Jericho, and they're going to look next at the city of Ai and, and Bethel. So if we move to those. Joshua sends a, a group there, and um, he sent 3,000 soldiers who ended up being defeated at Ai. And the uh, main reason, of course, was uh, Achan and his, diso his dis disobedience. He had ignored God's ban on the devoted items, uh, the, the uh, haram that we had talked about, I think, two weeks ago. Last week we did Egypt, is that right? Yeah. So two weeks ago we looked at some of the time period that Canaan and, and Kobram were. Following the defeat, God revealed to Joshua that such a sin had been committed, and he told him to inquire and identify the guilty party. And of course, if you remember the story well, you know that that was uh, the end of them. So, the location of you say this story well. AI. <laughs> so, matter of factly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, so, I probably shouldn't, <laughs> but the truth is, we get that way with history, don't we? Like we're disconnected. It was thousands of years ago. Like I don't know him, right? But if it was my next door neighbor, I might have felt a little differently, right? Like what? got torched. What? Or, you know, the ground just opened up. Um, anyway, yeah, so we're going to go from, from Jericho, okay, so we're going to go here. You can see the terrain is, is doing what? What's happening to our terrain as we move west? Directly towards the sea, right? Uh, well, it will be, yes, yeah. Mediterranean Sea is over there. Yeah, it's, but you can more hilly. Exactly, and you can see that on this map. This, this is in the, in the plains area still, all right? And then this is getting uh, more uh, mountainous or, or hilly. I got a question. Yeah. Um, the, the four regions, right, um, also play a field than the rift. Rift Valley? Yeah. And right. Jordan. Mm -hmm. um, when Abraham separated from Lot, he said he go left us or right, right? where the Dead Sea is. Right. Was that in the promise was was Lot in the promised land or was that below the promised land? Um if you could recall. Well, I cannot exactly recall and also there's some dispute about it. Um 
part of the problem with these ancient cities is exactly where they're located. So even with, with these, like with Jericho, it's fairly well-reasoned which site is Jericho, but there's multiple sites that have been said they are Jericho. Um, and it's really the same thing with almost every one of these. Now, they have done enough excavations that Kenneth Kitchen, um, who is an expert Egyptologist and um, not really an archaeologist, but he's an ancient source guy. Um, I mean, he's a top-name guy. He's written a book on the reliability of the Old Testament. And so, I mean, he'll go through, kind of like we mentioned uh, about the the, uh, the Habiro or Hapiro people, and uh, some some people think that those are uh, the Israelites. And so you'll see that in, in a lot of different places. I come across that quite a bit as, as I'm reading. Like the Habiro, that's, yeah, that's the Jewish people. Um, he flatly dismisses that. He says, no, they're not. Um, and he's not the only one. But he says, no, there's no actual actual definite connection between these. And so the, the word simply means um, these, these people that are moving around. And so they probably were Semitic people, uh, but they were not necessarily like Joshua's people or, or Moses' people or, or whatever. So anyways, um, my point with all that is this um, – some biblical events took place and they're matched up with uh, secular historians research. So, so I did not answer your question. So, so the so, Druids were out. Because um, it said that the Dead Sea is the, the remnant of somehow really? of the monsters. Yes. Or it's, it's buried under the Dead Sea. Yes, that, that's right. That's been alleged, right? And same thing with you know Pillars of Salt and Mark Weiss and, and all that stuff related to that area um, as well. Yeah. All right. So as they get ready to uh, take this for real, um, that text really, you can't read it. We weren't meant to read it, so um, don't try. <laughs> I'll tell you what it says. This is an aerial from the, the north shot. Um, the, the site or the tell, okay, is et tell, E-T hyphen is the one that is most prominently argued to be the historical site. Now, again, there's, there's other options. Um, archaeological excavations, though, have shown that, uh, that it was inhabited uh, from 3000 to 2400 and again after 1200, but not during the time of Joshua's conquest, the 1400s. And so, again, that's a problem, right? Well, if it's not inhabited, then how can he take it? So... Um, This picture, okay, is uh, from the east. So it is at the right center, okay, of, of the picture. Uh, the barren hill just below the top left is another suggested site, okay, for it that Joshua may have destroyed. So we're, we're looking at either over here or over here as one of these sites that it could have been. Um, and Kirbet el Makatir is the other site, which I'll have a, another picture of that in just a moment. Uh, Bethel, or Bethel, uh, is usually equated with uh, 
Beitin, which is in the top right of this screen, but also might be better located at the top left. So the excavations are inconclusive at some of this stuff. So, you know, they're reading the scripture text, which is their primary ancient source for information. And they're reading, you know, it's between this city and this city. Well, that's great, except for both of those cities are in dispute too. And then it's got a hill nearby and it's got this nearby. Okay, well, maybe the hill's still there after three or 4,000 years. And maybe the, the stream is still there or maybe it's not. Maybe it's dried up. So all of these different things, um, geographical aspects, just factor in as they're trying to find these things. Um, so this picture... one then is, is a view looking from the east of the secondary uh, potential site for AI. <coughs> El Makatir is in the um, upper left, El Etzel in the upper right. One mile due west, okay, of Etzel, so that's right center, is, is the other one. So an alternative location. They're how far apart? They're one mile apart. So walk a mile in what? 15 minutes? 20 minutes? So we're talking a 20 minute walk. They didn't have cars then, huh? So the two sites are 20 minute walk from each other. So you could be using the same time zone going on in August and Facebook and you have the same place to get the information. But of course with these, just like with Jericho, so you're wanting, if they're wanting evidence of certain Jericho, for instance, they want Where's the evidence of destroyed walls? Where's the evidence of burning? So that's what they want to see. So they don't see that, they're like, oh, well, I don't, this can't be it, or else the walls didn't come down, or else they didn't get burned, you know, from that perspective. So you have to remember from, from our perspective, um, archaeology doesn't prove or disprove the Bible. Right? I mean, the Bible is revelation from God. It's his revealed word to us so that we would know him, so we can have a relationship with him, so we can be a part of what he's doing in, in the world and part of the covenants he has made throughout history with his people. And his end game, Habakkuk 2.14, is that the, the name of God, the glory of God is known throughout the whole universe. So that's the Bible. Archaeology comes in, and archaeology comes in as an attempt to, to buttress or support or just to, to flesh out for us what the Bible has already revealed. So if we never find the stuff, I mean, does, does that mean it didn't happen? I mean, you're really down to uh, a faith-based argument concerning the scriptures. You know, did God reveal himself? And if so, what does it say in your opinion? Those are the primary um, areas, okay, for, for the central campaign that we're going to look at. Um, the, the name AI is always found in the Hebrew text with the definite article meaning the ruin. So it means the ruin. It's referred to as lying east of Bethel or Bethel, adjacent to Beth Aven, and north of Michmash. So when, they, when they're trying to figure out which one it is, they have to match up what the Bible says about it um, with the geography. So there's doubt, as we've already mentioned, about you know which one it is, etc., other 
questions that I may or may not be able to answer related to that thing. Alright, so then... Um, um, what's your take on the army that uh, you saw post the death battle you went to fight? Oh, for these cities? That yeah. they were not cities, that they were fort fortified. I don't recall you giving an opinion on that either. No, I probably didn't. Um, I'd love to hear it. I think that... <clears throat> I think it might push it a little too far. I think it's uh, there's might be something more towards the the middle that might be the, the answer on that. Um, it, it seems like they're more than than just a, a fortress, but I mean he has he has a lot of good arguments in his book, and he's not the only one. Those those same arguments are elsewhere. If you read, um, I mean, Kitchen talks about some of that stuff, the the, the fortress aspect. He basically deals in that book with. All sorts of things, um, names, peoples, geographies, places, um, events, throughout pretty much the whole Old Testament. Um, so, the, the, the funny thing, it's not funny, but here, here's what your position ends up doing, okay? The, the way you view something, your worldview, is going to filter and affect everything else related to it. So if if they're just fortresses, then all these drawings are really not very accurate that have been going on for years and years and years, right? Which is the common understanding. Now, um, what's driving this alternative view? Mostly what's driving it is the unfathomable idea that God would wipe out a whole group of people. Now, even if that moral dilemma is what's driving it, they still could come up with um, other truths, other true answers, facts, figures, archaeological, whatever, uh, that were unknown. Like, they may have been driven by some doubt, but they found stuff that is true or, or real, right? I mean, so that's true. That could happen. So I think that, that that's part of what it is. It's just like with, um, we talked a lot about John Walton and with the cosmology stuff. So, John Walton is an expert, and I wouldn't uh, deny that, on backgrounds and cultures of the ancient Near East. Um, but how you interpret what you find uh, it may not be the way someone else interprets it. I mean, Captain Kenyon looks at the, the stuff at Jericho and says, yeah, but there were no inhabitants here. And then uh, somebody else comes in and says, oh, no, there were. They actually got this. Um, so... John Wallen and also Dr. Uh, Mike Heiser, I don't know if you know who he is or not, but um, both of these guys are experts in, in their fields. Um, Heiser is uh, an expert in Old Testament Hebrew as well, and also on background and culture, and I think I mentioned his name when we talked about uh, God's name, El and Elohim, and how that also refers to angels and kings and other supernatural things in the scriptures. So... Um, he has the Divine Council website that I mentioned to you probably with, I don't know, three or 4,000 articles that he's compiled over the years. So, like, he's the expert in that area. Um, and so he holds in Genesis 6 that uh, he's not going to hold that it's about the lines of Seth and Cain. He's going to hold that it is related to some other um, 
such a dangerous rule or not. Um, but uh, he connected it with the Divine Council, if I'm not mistaken. So my point was all of that yeah. uh, is simply that I don't even remember what the first question was, but my point was all well, of that. Where, where they know their outsource or where they sit is this woman and children which are mentioned as being destroyed. Right. So um, I think the phrases that were found, okay, women, children, total annihilation, I, I think, I don't have a problem with the fact that those have been found in all different places and they don't actually mean what it sounds like they mean. Even in the book of Joshua, if you go track them through, he says it here, but we still live in here. So obviously he didn't kill them all here, right? So I don't have a problem with that. Um, does that mean that there were none living there? Well, it doesn't have to mean that, actually, because if it says that they destroyed them all, but what that really means is they're not a threat anymore, um, or we've pushed them out or whatever, but they're not all dead, 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 then, it does, then at that point it doesn't matter if there's women and children, because they're really not all dead, because the phrase doesn't mean that, right? Meaning of it is... So basically the question and the meaning of words based upon the moral dialogue that we have. And does that mean anything? Or the, cult, or the cultural concept. Right. And then we use other things to prove either or. Yeah. Same problem when we look at uh, the prophetic literature, or more specifically you look at the books of Ezekiel or Revelation, you know, the apocalyptic literature. So we, we approach it based on our 21st century understanding of the word that we read. Sometimes we ignorantly completely misinterpret the passage. So, I don't have a problem with the fact that if the phrase um, "everybody was annihilated" was commonplace terminology in their in their culture, for the same thing we say, "I destroyed them last night in a basketball game," but nobody died. Um, I have no problem whatsoever that Joshua could use the same phrase just like they did, and he basically meant what they did, not that they all were physically.
same information as the other two. They knew that God had uh, showed himself powerful in this destruction of the Egyptians, and now he's coming for the Canaanites, okay? So what are you going to do about it? Well, they're going to rebel, Rahab's going to repent. So really, you have the same thing. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is coming back, there's going to be a judgment, and there's a heaven and hell. Right? So you, you either, you know, repent or you end up, well, well, they do that. You said it better. Okay, <laughs> so the central campaign um, with Shechem. <coughs> Shechem is located uh, between Mount Gerizim on the left and Mount Ebal on the right. It's, it's preeminent in the biblical record, beginning with uh, God's promise of the land to Abraham. Later, Jacob would return here with his family, and he would settle shortly. During the conquest, the 12 tribes gathered on these two hills to recite God's law and the blessings and curses that accompanied obedience and disobedience. So you, you can see the two hills there. Shechem is also mentioned um, quite a bit in the Bible. Um, Abraham uh, was promised the land. Jacob buys a plot of land. Jacob's sons are uh, tending the sheep there before Joseph finds them in Dothan. Uh, the covenant is confirmed during the conquest there. Um, the city is set aside as a Levitical city and a city of refuge. Uh, Joseph is buried here. The ten tribes reject uh, Rehoboam, all here in Shechem. Is that Shechem, by the way? Yeah, and uh, so you can kind of see that you're looking down on it, and that's because it's between those two hills. So this here, I think, is a, a middle bronze wall um, that was found. Shechem was strongly fortified from its earliest history. This wall um, here was in use through the, the time period, the late Bronze Age. Um, in the background, Mount Gerizim was the location of the Samaritan Temple in the 4th to the 2nd century B.C. So you see the hill in the back. Um, of Mount Gerizim, and then if we zip back two slides, I think it was, so again, Mount Gerizim up on the left there is same from down in the valley, if you will, of the, the, the city there. They also found a temple of, uh, of Baal, these are the, the remnants, the remains um, <coughs> of a fortified temple. They had walls uh, 17 feet thick. The excavations identified this building as the Temple of uh, Baal Berith, mentioned in Judges chapter 9. And from this building, funds were taken to finance Abimelech's kingship. And here the citizens of the city took refuge against uh, Abimelech's attack. And so it's just like uh, archaeology is kind of just like anything else. Uh, you first get your feet wet, and a lot of stuff looks first take a Hebrew class, like what am I doing? Um, you know, but after a while you can actually recognize the blue letters and then maybe even pronounce them right. So <laughs> maybe an interesting thing. Maybe? Maybe you don't know. Well it depends on how devoted you are to the work. <laughs> right? So Gerizim or 
Gerizim, probably. I am, plural ending. This here is just an ancient Israelite house. Uh, now, obviously, uh, if, it, if they're all clustered inside a city, there'd be uh, probably a little bit different. But from about 1500 to 500 BC, many, most of um, the Israelite houses were, were built with the same type of layout. Uh, surrounding cultures had some different plans, but this is a rendition of it. This is, again, out of uh, Faith Life Study Bible, one of the flyers I have, which um, the study Bible, you can get that for free. If you don't use Bible software or if you're interested in Logos, the Logos 7 came out um, like last October, November, but just this past month, their free version came out of Logos 7. So you can get it for free. You have a limited number of, of resources, but the Faith Life Study Bible, which these images are from, are part of that free package. So, and they give away a free book every month. So, you know, it's 12 months, you have 12 free books. And they have a, uh, probably 100 or so, maybe more, other books that are free. Most of them are older stuff, or some of the stuff that they produce. And their stuff is pretty good stuff, so anyway. All right, so from the central campaign. So, and it's a bunch of 
sorry, the wrong page on that. The Arab village of El Jib sits on the north side of the hill and preserves the biblical name of the city inhabited by the Gibeonites. These are the people that uh, Job Livingston tricked Joshua into making a treaty with them, and later the Israelites would be forced to defend their ill-made ally in the process would defeat the five king Canaanite coalition. The city of Gibeon sits on the west side of the central Benjamin uh, Plateau. And so the archaeology and the excavations at um, Gibeon have revealed uh, wine cellars. This was excavated by James Pritchard in 1956 to 62. Uh, Gibeon has significant remains, especially from the days of the Israelites. These are 63 different wine cellars from the 8th and 7th centuries B.C. Uh, the cellars were bottle-shaped, about 6 feet deep, and 6 foot in diameter at the bottom. And it's estimated that 19,000 gallons of wine could have been stored in 9-gallon jugs in these cellars. So that's a decent amount of wine there, or that's how many bottles of wine. Um, they also found water shafts, okay? <coughs> Uh, two water systems were excavated at Gibeon. The dating of both is difficult and disputed, but both were uh, probably operational um, after the, the Bronze Age and, and the Iron Age. Uh, the steps tunnel has 93 steps that lead down uh, to the spring below. The cylindrical shaft is 40 foot in diameter. It's 35 foot deep, and it accessed the, the water table, so it was all the way down. 3,000 tons of limestone were removed by the excavators to reveal the system. The Bible references the pool of Gibeon several different times. So this was maybe a prominent landmark in the city. On one occasion, a deadly battle between David's men and Abner's men took place at the pool in 2 Samuel chapter 2. And some believe that the cylindrical water shaft uh, should be identified with the, uh, the biblical place of Gibeon. Others hold that the shaft was constructed later um, after the fact. But those are some of the things that they have found at the area of uh, Gibeon. Um, jump into the, the northern campaign. Unless, uh, let me see if I have anything else for you on the, on the southern campaign. Joshua Watson spells that wrong. What's that? Northern. Have a typo? southern cities I don't have um, archaeological images uh, for so I don't have them in my uh, PowerPoint um, the city of uh, Lachish is, is mentioned in Joshua but um, it's more well known for a time in later history with uh, the Assyrians and so I'll probably touch on it again there's quite a bit of archaeological information about it um, through grants etc benefit from the warfare. You can actually see the, the image with the two walls that we saw in Jericho um, kind of comes up again with that. But uh, so I don't have anything on the screen though for you um, with that. So the northern campaign is Joshua chapter 11 uh, verses 1 to, to 15. And so on this map, uh, it is the yellow line that is going to continue going north, okay? And so um, here in upper, that's upper galley there. The, the shields here, these are like their 
the battles is what they're saying. And um, then the red line is, is the Canaanite forces. That's it. That's the whole new map, I guess. Um, news of Joshua's conquest of the south had reached Jabin, the king of Hazor. And fearing similar attacks on his region, he formed a confederacy. The kings he assembled um, represent all different parts of northern Canaan. The mountain region above Hazor, the plains south of Kinnereth, uh, near the Sea of Galilee, the valley of uh, Esdraelon, the western regions as far as Dor, and the three cities um, of Madon, Shimon, and um, Ashtapheth. So this assembly included Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Hivites. And the gathering point was the waters of uh, Maron at Lake Tula, and the host number, it says in Joshua 11, 40, was like the sand on the seashore. So, lots of sand. Many, many people there. So, the, uh, the city that I have for that, for um, Hazor, is <coughs> this, is the, uh, the image of it. It's also known as Tel Hazor. That one's fairly easy, but it also has about four or five other of the names it's known as also. Um, Tel Al-Kadah, Tel El-Kidah, uh, Tel uh, Kuraiba, etc. So, again, when they're, they're trying to find these places and you're looking, you kind of imagine yourself, you're out in this hilly area and you're like, well, is it that hill or that hill or that hill or is it the space between that hill and that hill or the space between that hill and that hill kind of thing going on. And then they have to do the excavations. Of course, that costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time. And so we've got to finance all that. So what we would find is this was known in Joshua's day as the head of all the kingdoms. The Tel Hazor is today the largest in Israel. It's 200 acres. At its height in the Canaanite period, the city encompassed the entire Tel. Later, when it was inhabited by the Israelites, the fortified city included only... Um, the upper city. The excavations have uh, what does it tell? uncovered some uh, houses. Which, which part does it tell? The, the um, part? Okay, in this one it is. Oh, the top, the top left. Let's see. That's below the top left. Well, that's right. the mountains. That's. Yeah. I think they're working down in. They were doing archaeological digs when I was in Israel, one of the places. They were also doing archaeological digs when I was in uh, Belize, I think. That's the Mayan culture. So the Mayan temples pretty much look just like the ziggurat. that they've unearthed 
right? So the thing is, so if you look at this picture and you and you look right next to this, you know, all you see is mounds of dirt and hills and whatnot. And so the question is, like, what's under that one and that one and that one? And how careful and how much time does it take to get down to this from that, you know? And, and what happened that somebody actually found that, like, was a, a, a chunk of the wall sticking out or somebody's just digging around or, like, the old lady that found the, all those tablets and yeah, was just digging for, you know, fertilizer for her lawn. Um, so it's really, to some degree, it's amazing that we, we have any of this stuff. Many structures um, were, were related to the religious practices and uh, were found with different religious figures, etc. Uh, some of the buildings were lined with um, basalt. The four-room house, so you can kind of see here, we saw lots of stuff like this when I was at places in, in Israel. So we probably were at... Uh, so I guess to some degree, maybe I was at Kintelis. Because th this type of stuff is pretty common when you go to old places. So you can see the, the different rooms that are divided up by, by the stone wall. And, and so that's how they were originally? That's what they argue, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. almost how it looks. Yeah. Arch is this big of a... This popular building style would be better known as a, a pillared house than by just a four-room house, etc. It's found throughout Israel from the time of the settlement of the Israelites. The number of rooms and the dwellings can vary, but um, always is characterized by a row or two of pillars separating the central court um, from the side rooms. So you can see the pillars standing there. And so uh, the stone, the, the upkeep, you can imagine as... Um, as time goes by and you have uh, stone and you've got wind and blood erosion and uh, you have to de-add, you know, mortar and stuff. I know when I was in uh, Romania, their houses were not like that. They were made out of, uh, literally, they were uh, trees and mud. I probably remind myself of that when I was in Israel and whatnot. Just don't have to be insulated over years. Um, they've also um, discovered uh, what they think were um, a six-chambered gate at Hazor, which is pretty identical, they think, to the size and design at um, Megiddo and uh, at Gizer. Um, the best explanation is that these gates were built by the same government and they're thought to be related to uh, the gates that Solomon built mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 9 verse 15. So as, as Joshua is, is going through here, 
the confederation of, of the kings, they assemble together. Joshua uh, at Hazor, he brings his, uh, his troops to, to meet them, and then they rout them and they chase them to the west. This is the, the first map, the red line is the, the Canaanite um, going. The uh, Amarna uh, tablets, this is going to be an example of a, uh, a disputed connection. Okay, so I'll explain in a, in a minute, but some of you will catch it because I commented this before. And so there's letters requesting aid from Egypt that have been discovered. I, th I think I mentioned these last week. And they were written during the same time frame. The following letter is from a man who is the governor of Gath. He says, May the king, my lord, know that the chief of the Hapiru has besieged the lands which your God has given me, but I have attacked him. Also let the king, my lord, know that none of my allies have come to my aid. It is only I and Abdu Hiba who fight among the Hapiru chiefs. I plead with the king, my lord, if you agree, send Yan Hamu and let us quickly go to war so that the lands of the king, my lord, might be restored to their original boundaries. Now, um, he, the governor of Gath, is again mentioned in the following letter. He says, let it be known to the king that there is great hostility against me and against uh, Shuardaka. I ask the king, my lord, to protect his land from the approaching Hapiru. So this is the word king. So you will see this spelled with a P and a B. Apiru, Abiru. Okay, this is something that happens in the the Semitic languages. Uh, P or B or sometimes B or B. When I was uh, taking Hebrew, I think I mentioned this before. They would um, pronounce the. Um, sound, now it's more like a B sound that they prefer, so anyways, the point is, these are the people that keep getting um, aligned with the Israelites, and they're the people that temptation says are not the Israelites, and should not be aligned with them, and so we have these Amarna letters that mention them, and they're saying, hey, there's these people, and they're, they're swamping the area. And so they're appealing to different kings, or specifically a lot of them are reaching out to the Egyptian leaders. Because remember, Egypt is still over this land at this time period. They just have a loose grip on it. And so they're saying, send us some help. This is your land, remember. Don't let them take it over. And so Kitchen argues that, that this word simply refers to a group of foreign invaders. And they, they were of some Semitic origin, but they are not the Israelite people. And so, if, uh, if he's right, then connecting them with these events is actually an efficient uh, notion. And so that just goes back again to the difficulties of getting archaeological data and then number two, interpreting it and aligning it with the biblical data. So you got the central, you got the south, you got the north, right? So pretty much the only thing left after that was to finish the job because we know that they didn't really drive everybody out during that time period, and then give the allotment of of the lands. And so I don't think I actually have. Uh, I tried to delete the slides, but I didn't have 
additional pictures though. So yeah, I don't think I have that. <coughs> so then uh, the tribal allotment is given out. And you can see this is a, a Holman map as well. So this is all a color-coded one. You see that you have the two and a half tribes um, over here on the east side of the river, and then the rest of them are, are lined up through here. And so they still had different areas here that still had to be conquered. Um, the green areas have, have not been uh, taken. And so you can see there's still quite a bit of land to be taken. And then this is just uh, that's the color treatment. Oh, because Israel today is uh, the West Bank Gaza area. Oh, nice documentary picture. Which is why, so if you go there and you want to go to Bethlehem, you have to go to Palestine. So you have to you leave Israel. You have to ditch your Israel guide and pick up a Palestinian guide. So, so do you need a, a a passport or some type of visa to get into the West Bank? 